I think this came at a good time since we're going through the gospel. Uh, Etta and I, uh, the, I guess the family and I, we sponsor one child through compassion, one child through world vision, and well, we one of them we don't anymore because their facilities fell through. The, the church that was sponsoring them in their home country wasn't doing things right. Huh? Was that the World Vision one? But we also sponsor, we also support through, I think, World Vision, um, a, neo, uh, uh, a pregnancy prenatal care. That's, I'm going to get it out in a second. Uh, facility in Indonesia. Just some of the opportunities you have. This morning it's about compassion, and we did have three children up here to sponsor. Now we only have one, uh, and that's good that two have been taken already. It's, uh, I think, 35 or $38 a month. I'm not real sure uh, which it is. Um, the, the two organizations are a little different in cost. Sure, there's poverty that's, that, that they're taken out of. They, they get education. They get all of that, but it's the gospel. That's the purpose. Uh, we, we earn the right, and that's not, probably not a very good phrase to use, but when, when we take the gospel, when compassion takes the gospel into these uh, neighborhoods, these, these, if you can call what they live in a neighborhood, mercy, uh, they are not just saying, hey, I've got this message for you, but I'm not going to do anything for you otherwise. They are providing food, clothes, uh, a church, um, schooling. So let me encourage you, uh, if you can't foster a child, you can't adopt a child, well, you can probably sponsor a child at 35 or $38 a month. And uh, as my t-shirt says, a child needs you. Um, and it's just a drop in the bucket, but enough drops fill the bucket, right? So that's what we want to do. So we, we have Compassion Sunday every year. I'm glad to be a part of it and uh, honored to stand and say, uh, it's, it is more than worthwhile. It, it, it will change you. I mean, we get letters from the kids that we sponsor two or three times a year. Uh, and it's, we've been sponsoring now for about three years, I guess. So we, I've, I've actually seen his handwriting change as he gets older. Uh, it, so it, it's, it's an incredible opportunity, ministry, and a blessing will be to you. Uh, let me see if my... Yep, all right, we're good to go there. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is where we're going to be again this week uh, and in the coming weeks. Um, looking at the gospel still, we are on the O, the offense of sin. So last week we talked about God's sovereignty. Uh, not, no, we didn't. We talked about God's character. Sovereignty is one of his characteristics, but it's not what we talked about. Uh, we talked about God's character. This week we are talking about the offense of sin. Now, we, uh, we live in a culture, right, that, that loves to be offended. And it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, church, we're, we can be as bad about that as, as anybody else, about loving to be offended. Uh, there was a comedian years ago, a Christian comedian. Um, unfortunately, his testimony got disproven. He'd been lying to to bump up his testimony and get more churches to invite him to come and, and speak. But he's really funny, other than, you know, the whole line problem. Um, oh, my poster didn't make it, did it? Oh, well. Uh, he, uh, first thing he said at, at, at this, 
the church that I went to when he came, this was obviously before he knew he was lying, uh, he said, I am here to offend you. Because he knew that no matter what he said, he's going to offend somebody. Um, well, basically that's the pastor's job too, right? I'm here to offend you. Uh, we love to be offended. Don't lie. You do. You want to be offended because there are some of us that aren't happy unless we're offended by something. Unless we're mad about something either the culture's doing or our neighbor's doing or the preacher said or somebody said to me in church or what's going at work. We just like to be offended. And, and we, we have so been offended by so many things that offense uh, or offensive has almost lost its meaning today. It almost doesn't mean anything. Well, I'm offended by that. Well, join the club. Um, there's, there's a particular picture that goes around on Facebook uh, occasionally. Uh, it's Jackie Gleason. Most, some of y'all are old enough to remember Jackie Gleason. Uh, some of you that watch good TV know him because the Honeymooners still come on on uh, Nick at Night or whatever it's called now. It's its own channel, I think. But anyway, it's Jackie Gleason standing on the beach, and he's, he's, he didn't say this, but the, the caption of the picture of him standing there is, Good morning, America. What are we offended about today? Because that's, that's, that's we wake up and say, All right, yep, 8 o'clock now. Okay, let's find something. It's almost lost its meaning. But it shouldn't have uh, defined... An offense or something offensive is a violation or a breaking of a moral rule, a sin, a transgression of the law, something that offends, offends or displeases. Now, we really, really like that last definition, something that offends or displeases, especially the displeases part. I'm offended that... I'm offended that Michael's wearing a t-shirt to preach in on Sunday morning. No, well, you're displeased. But at least in this case, this morning, I have a purpose in wearing it. But I do know plenty of people. It is still a conversation I see regularly about the mode of dress of pastors. I'm offended by that. No, you just don't like it. Please, let's stop using offended because God talks about being offended uh, offensiveness to God is something much more than it just displeases him. That wasn't what he wanted to see when he got up this morning. Uh, he overheard something and, well, I can't believe they're talking like that. It's not that kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about offensiveness of sin. We're talking about something much, much worse. Our focus verse this morning is actually Ephesians 2.5, uh, the, the first part of, uh, of 2, 5, rather this, actually the, uh, the middle part, really, of verse 5, where he says, where Paul says to the church at Ephesus, we were dead in trespasses. But really, we're going to need to go back and look at verses 1 through 3 along with that to understand what Paul meant, because he explained it earlier on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Verse 5 then says, We were dead in trespasses, repeating what he said 
in verse 1. Getting into the offense of sin, we need to remember briefly why it's offensive to God. Because of God's character, right? Last week, what we talked about, the G of gospel, God's character. We learned last week, and we need to remember this week, that God is completely other from us. He is completely different. He is, but not just, the opposite of us, certainly. But it's more than that. It's not just, I'm this and God is the opposite of that. You know, there are people like that. I'm one way and, 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 and people are the opposite of that. There are really, really handsome men. And, and, and I'm, then I'm, there's me. Uh, they're really athletic, strong, and I'm the opposite of that. So, you know, they're not completely other from me. They're just uh, opposite of me in those characteristics. But we, you know, we're both human. God is completely other than us. But it is safe to say he is also in many ways the opposite of us. And that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, he is the opposite of everything that Paul mentions in verses 1 through 3 in that little portion of, of uh, verse 5. And therein lies the offense. This is where it's offensive. We have a culture today that wants us to believe that not only are our sins... If they're not completely doing away with the idea of sinfulness altogether, then at the very least, we want to water down how offensive our sin is to God and say, well, oh, he doesn't like it, but he's okay with it. You know, it, it displeases him. But we leave out the, the first part of the definition, a violation of, or breaking of a moral rule, a, a transgression of the law. We want to, we wanna, no, God doesn't consider it that anymore. He's just, he's just not comfortable with it. I mean, I, I, hear, I hear parents give that sort of response to their, their children's actions. Well, I'm not real pleased with what you're doing, Junior. Oh, uh-uh. Yeah, I'm not pleased either. And let me, let me tell you exactly and show you exactly how not pleased I am. Okay? Uh, that's, we want this, this, this watered down, sanitized, milk toast God that is just, now that, that wasn't good when we sin. And that's not the God we have. And that's not the way that God looks at sin. First, rattle out of the box to, to quote my preaching professor from North Georgia, um, the first rattle out of the box in verse 1, you were dead. Okay, I mean, if, if, if it is just displeasing, if it is just, now, now that's not, we don't do that. If, if that's the response of God toward our sin, what is this dead business about? And he, he doesn't, doesn't lay it on thin right off. It, does, it doesn't ease into it. He says, you were dead. Now, what is he talking about here? Death. Number of different things. Uh, but ultimately, he's talking about the, the penalty for sin. The warning to Adam and Eve, do not eat of this tree, for then the day that you will eat of it, you will die. And the day that you eat of it, you will die. Well, now, clearly... 
that didn't just mean physical death because they didn't die as soon as they ate, right? If it had just meant physical death, then upon taking the crunch, they'd have been gone. But they weren't. So there's something more here than just physical death. This is the spiritual death. This is separation from God. I'm in a number of different... Uh, it's, it's funny that, that this was coming up today because I'm in a number of different groups that preacher groups on Facebook where we go in and we just discuss things. Uh, for all the curses that Facebook is, it actually does have some positive uh, points. They're, they're few and far between, but they, they are there. And uh, one of them is that I do get to discuss with not just other preachers like I would if, you know, gathered with some guys from in the area, but literally world-renowned theologians that I'm, well, I rarely can contribute to those conversations, but I do get to read them and, and discuss them. And one of the things that was being discussed this week was, was uh, spiritual death, that phrase. Well, it, it's not in the Bible, spiritual death. It, we have things like dead and trespasses. We have penalty from, for, for sin. We have separation from God. But that phrase is a, an extra biblical, outside the Bible phrase that helps us understand what's going on. We don't die physically. Adam and Eve didn't die physically at the, the point of their disobedience, but spiritually they did. In, in some way, in some realm, they no longer had a relationship with God. They were then separate. That is what he's talking about. You were dead. It was a penalty for your sin. He's also talking here about the chaos caused by sin. Death is chaotic. Have you, have you ever been a part of someone's death where you thought, well, this was a good time? I'm, I'm sure glad it was today and... Um, yeah, you know, this, this, this was convenient. I didn't have anything this week anyway. You know, nobody approaches somebody's death that way. It is chaotic. Death causes problems in, in life. Uh, ultimately, it ends the life, I mean, right? And, and that is chaotic in itself. But sin, the, this, this death that we live, this walking death that we have prior to Christ is a life of chaos because God is a God of order. God is a, a God of, of having things set the way they're supposed to be. Sin screws things up. And so, this chaos that we live in, because we are dead in sin, is something we want to get out of. Separation from God, I already mentioned, this is now and in eternity because of sin. We are separated from God. We are distant from God because of our sin. Even as Christians, while positionally we aren't separated from God, once we've come to Christ, nothing snatches, at him out of our, uh, snatches us out of His hand, out of God's hand. We know ever, or we never move positionally, but uh, uh, as far as our relationship, relationally, uh, as far as our communication is concerned, there, sin still causes a separation. Do you want to be God, around God in the midst of your sin? Do you just love running back to Him? Hey God, I sinned again. No, we don't. It causes a separation now, and then ultimately, if we don't turn to Christ, it causes an eternal separation from God. 
You were dead in your trespasses, Paul said. You were morally deficient. Because here's the deal. If you can be perfect, you can earn your way to God. I mean, that's, you, you can. You, you, only perfection can do it. But if you can hit perfection and stay there, but, but, but you can't hit perfection. You have to have always been perfect. So, I mean, you can, you can never have sinned and never sin. So if today you're thinking, well, if I'm just good enough, you know, I, if, I, if I work on it, I can hit perfection and, and make it to God. No, you can't because you, you've already messed up. You have to never sin. But if you could do that, you'd earn your way to God. But Paul says, you were, that was, you were dead to that. You were not able to do that. You could not be perfect. You will not be perfect. You are morally deficient. You are dead. And God says, or Jesus says in Luke 20, 38, that God is the God of the living. This is how he's other than us, how he's opposite from us. God is, is not the God of, of death. God will one day cast aside those who have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They will be doomed to an eternity in hell, separated from God. An eternity of, of, of destruction. Actually, hell gets thrown into the lake of fire. Eventually, it all gets thrown into this eternal torment that, that hell doesn't even cover, as far as a descriptor goes. And God will then put His focus on those who have trusted Him. He will be the God of the living, not of the dead in their sin. Eternal, complete separation from God. Will he be aware of them and all that? Well, we're not getting into the philosophical discussion of what God can and can't see, etc., etc. Sure, yeah, he can. But he is still going to turn his back on that. God is the God of the living, and we are dead in our sins. Dead in, he says, Paul says, trespasses and sins. He uses two words here, not as distinction, though, but as a comprehensive uh, pairing of two words. Uh, it, they, he's not saying trespasses and one kind of sin and, or one kind of bad thing, one kind of offense, and sin, uh, sins are another. He's just using uh, a parallelism is what we, we call it. One word, two words that mean the same thing just to get the point across to you. But what he is talking about, clearly, I think, though, even though it's comprehensive, he is making sure we understand this is every form of sin. It's interesting for Paul to use this phrase. Generally, not all the time, but the majority of the time, Paul uses sin in the singular to talk about our sinfulness, our sin nature. It's not common, though not unheard of, for Paul to talk about sins that Jesus saves us from. Here, though, he does it. Because he has said, you are not just dead in your sinfulness, dead in your sin nature. You are dead because you continually sin. You are doing things that you are not supposed to. We cannot call, regardless of what our culture says today, we cannot call good 
what the Bible calls sin. Uh, the most recent example is we cannot let men into the ladies' bathroom where our daughters are going. Insane that that is happening. But that's the culture that we live in where the world calls good what the Bible calls sin. And that is an offense to God because God does not sin. God is not just the opposite of us in this way. We sin, He doesn't. But we are sinful by nature. He is good by nature. 1 John 3, 8 through 10 says, The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. So we see a, a clear distinction between those who sin, those who live in sin, being uh, controlled by the devil, and Paul's going to get to that even in greater detail here in a minute, and those who are not controlled by sin, who don't sin, as being controlled by God. Because God and sin don't mix. They're not even oil and water. They're something much more uh, reactive even than that. Much more separate than that. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says, in which you walked. He goes on to say, this is not just a casual stroll through sin. See, again, we like to think that if, if we just, you know, we're window shopping for sin, right? Oh, I walk through the mall, and, and, and I, like, I like that sin, it's, but I'm, you know, I'll go look at it. Oh, you've got free samples? Okay. But I'm not going to just like get into, you know, mm -mm, no, no. And we, we go on and oh, this is the next store. And, and we look and, oh, I like those sins too. But, well, okay, maybe just, just, let me, how much do I have in my account? Yeah, just one. Just one. I'll take that one. You know, but, but nothing, nothing big deal. No, that's what we think we do with sin. When in fact, what he's talking about here is domination by sin. I mean, this is, we go roaring into the mall, into the, the, the store of sin, and we whip out the credit card, and we are swiping like crazy. We are living in sin. I want one of everything. Give me two of everything. Can I get that to go, please? Because I want some of this sin at home, too. That's the way we treat sin. Sin is where we live. It's not something that we just stroll through. So when Paul says, in which you walked, he is talking about in which you took up residence. You lived. This was how you worked, Paul tells us. Holiness is where God lives. See how he is completely other? Isaiah 57, 15 it says, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I live in a high and holy place. Holiness, and that's probably the best word for God being other. Holy, it means sanctified, set apart. 
God is holy. We are not by nature. We are made holy by the blood of Jesus, but we are not holy by nature. God by nature is holy. We live in sin. We wrap it around us. We go to bed with it. We cuddle up to it. We eat it. We drink it. We watch it on TV. And God does none of those things. God is holy. That is where he lives in holiness. Paul says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you walked in which you lived. But it gets worse. Can you believe it? It gets worse. According to the ruler, he says, according to the ruler who exercises authority over this world, or rather, authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. This should automatically, for us as, as believers, people who have been in church a number of years, we should immediately hear th- whatever song plays when the devil shows up in your head. Whatever that music is, that should be playing right now. The, the ruler of this, uh, this uh, the lower heavens, the authority of the ru- over, uh, I lost a spot, the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Maybe your music is doom, doom, doom. Well, that's what you should hear right now because this is the devil that he's talking about. Interesting descriptors that Paul uses, and they go back to uh, the, the, uh, the Greeks and, and how they particularly divided heaven where God was. Then you had the lower air, which would have been from like earth up to wherever heaven started. And that was kind of where they saw the devil ruling. And then you have us on earth. The devil rules everything below heaven is how they, they saw it. it. would be the picture that he is painting with these words. What he's telling us is, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins and you walked in these things and you got all this from the devil. This may be the one time you get to say the devil made me do it. But it's still not a good excuse. You know, so, so, so you really can't. And the devil is God's what? Uh, what would be a good word? Uh, they, they're brothers that, uh, that just don't get along sometimes. No, they're, they're classmates that they don't really like each other. No, God and the devil are enemies. The devil is God's enemy. It was a coup. It was a, an attempt to overthrow God's government that got the devil thrown out of heaven. That's not, I don't know if y'all have ever seen um, The Godfather. The, the, the series, or, or the, the, the first one especially. Um, there's one, and, and y'all may know the guy. He, he died here, here uh, just a couple of months ago, and I'm going to forget his name. Um, who? Abe Vigoda, thank you. Abe Vigoda played uh, Sal. On, uh, he was uh, Don Corleone's friend from early days, and uh, most, of, most of y'all might know him as Fish from Barney Miller. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm dating some of you there. 
uh, Sal comes along and Don Corleone tells Michael, who's now running the, the, the family, says the, the person who comes to you to set up the meeting is the one who has betrayed you. You just, he just, you just know that's the way it works. And, and the one that comes is, is Fish, is, is Sal, Abe Vigoda. And he comes to set up the meeting. So Michael knows immediately um, who was responsible, who, who sold them out, who was the traitor in the group. And they uh, eventually take care of Sal. Uh, he no longer has a part in the movie after that. Um, but the, the discussion that goes on with... Uh, with uh, Tom Hannigan, the, the other son, the adopted son, um, played by Robert Duvall, as Sal is about to get in the car, knowing what's coming, he says, Tom, can you, can you help me out here? Can you talk to Michael? And, and, and Tom Hannigan says, sorry, Sally, I can't do it. And uh, Sal says, well, would you let Michael know it was just business? It wasn't personal. And that, that, that phrase comes up a lot in mobster movies um, because they, they want to believe that, you know, it was all about, it wasn't that I didn't like the guy, it wasn't that I thought he was, you know, a bad guy, funny, right, uh, gangsters, um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was just business. I thought this is the way we, it should have been run. That was not the devil's comment when he got thrown out of heaven. As he was thrown down, he says, Hey, could you just tell God it wasn't personal? It was just business. No, no, it was personal. And even if it wasn't personal, if it was just business, we can look at our own lives and see a very poor picture of this, but see that even when it's just business, that doesn't affect, doesn't change the pain that it causes. The devil it was God's enemy. And John, or Paul is telling us, rather, that we are on the devil's side. Because if you, if you remember from The Godfather, if you've seen it, the, Michael cleans house. Michael Corleone, once, once he gets started, if, if, if there was a, a hint of, of betrayal anywhere among uh, your group, y'all were gone. By the second movie, he was even killing his own brother because of betrayal. So, you know, it, 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 it's, it's tough. Well, now think of that on a cosmic, spiritual, sin versus holiness level, and that's where we are. We are on the devil's side. And God has said, this is what happens. Verse 5, the wrath that will be poured out. We'll get there in a second. We, you're on the devil's side. My wrath has already been poured out against the devil. Now I'm going to pour it out against you, he says. Verse John 3, 8. Again, we'll go back to that. Not 3, 8 through 10, but just verse 8. The one who commits sin is of the devil. Yuck. It's just getting worse. And then the rest of 3.8 says, The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. We're on his side doing his works. What does that mean for us? It means that our sin is an offense to God. Paul goes on, Fleshly desires, he says, you're disobedient. Verse 3, We too all previously, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were being led by our base desires. 
Some would say it was our, our lizard brain, uh, that the, the just almost instinct, because our nature is to sin. That's who we are now. That's not who we were created to be, but that is who we are. It is our nature to sin. It is our nature to rebel against God. It is our nature to be on the devil's side. See, holiness for us is unnatural at this point. That's why Paul will talk about in Romans, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do because it is, I, I know what I want, I know what I should be doing. Holiness is where I should be, but sinfulness is where I am. And that is an offense to God. And he says this and he covers, Paul does, mind, flesh, thoughts, and deeds. You don't get to say, well, I only, you know, I only thought about it. I mean, didn't we cover this in, in uh, the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount? To, to lust in your heart is to commit adultery. It doesn't have to be the physical act. If we are acting on it in our mind, we are sinning. Mind and flesh, thoughts and deeds, Paul says. In Galatians, Paul says, expands a little bit more. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, Galatians 5.17. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. And that's just the war going on inside of me. My spirit against my flesh. But again, if we take that to the cosmic scale, then it is us as a fleshly race against God, uh, God's holiness and spiritness. Fleshly desires, inclinations, and then we get to the kicker. We are dead. We are living in trespasses and, trespasses and sins in which we walked. We, we, we live there. We abide there. We are on the same team as the devil as God's enemy, we regularly give in to our, our base fleshly desires and inclinations. And so then, we are, as verse 5 says, the end of verse 3 in verse 5, we were na by nature children under wrath. I'm... You know, it really de de determine, it, it, it depends on whose wrath I'm under as to whether I care. I, you know, if, if, if I was under my boss's wrath, well, it's going to really depend on how much I like the job. Do I need this job? Do I have to have this job? All right, so I endure the wrath. But, but it doesn't affect me a whole lot. I leave that job at home, maybe. Parents' wrath... Well, it depends on my age, right? And, and whether I live at home or, you know, somewhere else. Can I get away from it? And if I can, whatever. Wife's wrath. I got to live with that one. So, uh, so that one I'm, I'm more concerned about. God's wrath. There, there, there was a, there's a verse that says... Don't really worry about the, 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 the people who can destroy your body. 
Instead, be concerned about the people, the, the one who can destroy you body and soul. God's wrath. That's the wrath I'm worried about. Because that wrath is God's just response to sin. It is right for God to pour out His wrath on me. It is right for God to condemn me to an eternity to hell because I am His enemy. I am dead in my trespasses and sins that I walk, that I live in, that I, that I enjoy. And it's according to my leader, the devil, whose team I'm on prior to salvation because I just regularly give in to my fleshly desires and my inclinations that are all warring against who God is and who God desires me to be. So, the wrath is justified. And that wrath isn't the, the uh, reaction of disappointment, right? I mean, having taught school in, in today's public school, uh, I've seen the idea that... Now, children, we need to make good choices. We need... We, I've seen this with 8th graders, 14, 15-year-olds, some of them that were far bigger than me, uh, take me out in a heartbeat. And, and see, teachers want to control them by, well, now, you, we need to, let's not do that. Let's not, you, that's not wrath, is it? Wrath was what, at least I remember getting from teachers, Coaches, principals, I mean, have mercy. My fourth grade teacher used a belt. Of course, I, I went to a private school, so they pretty much didn't care. Um, they, they, they had free reign on us. But in fourth grade, she used a belt. I never got that one. I never got a spanking from Miss Harper. Uh, Miss Lacey in third grade, she used a paddle. She was old. So she, she couldn't swing too hard. Y'all, y'all, you think I'm joking. She taught my grandfather when he was in third or fourth grade, something like that. that she, so she was ancient. Miss Vaughn, who I'm actually friends with on Facebook now, my second grade teacher, she was younger. In my head, I thought she was like 50, of course, when I was a kid. Um, turns out she was probably maybe 30 uh, when, when I was in, in second grade. She could swing a paddle. Uh, she was all right. Ms. Williams was also my piano teacher. She was my first grade teacher. She knew how to use the paddle too. And she was the one that you got your paddling up by the desk in front of everybody. Uh, she also taped us to our desks. Uh, I think she's dead now, so nobody can sue her. Um, uh, she made us wear, I never got to do this, uh, thankfully. She made us wear the tattletale. Uh, if you, it, was a, it was pantyhose stuffed with something, and you had to wear it the whole day. Recess, lunch, everything. Those things aren't done now, are they? But I would, I would label those as some sort of wrath. But even that doesn't cover it, does it? I mean, the, even Coach Vic or Coach McCleskey, the, the, the paddlings I got from the principals, those, I wouldn't call those wrath. God has wrath. God is not the, okay, children, now let's settle down. That's not, it's not how God works. That's not the vision here. Uh, Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says your worldly nature, and then he names some things, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. Wow, three things that have to do with sex. Oof. 
evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. Now children settle down? No. Romans 1.18 For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people. If I'm dead, if my trespasses and sins that I walked are according to my boss, the, the, the devil, God's enemy, then why would I think I deserve anything but wrath? Mercy is offered to some enemies though, right? I mean, for the most part, if you're the enemy and you are fighting on the other side, there's, there's no mercy the battle wages, and, or, or the battle rages, and, and you get what's coming to you. And if it's found that it was some sort of, of rebellion, then you certainly get what's coming to you. But God is not just opposite of us, right? I will pour out wrath on you for rebelling against me. And God would too and will. But God is not just opposite, but other. God, though wrath is what we deserve, offers something else. God offers mercy and grace. Mercy, as I've told you before, is not getting what we deserve. If God just stopped there, right? If God just said, okay, no, no damnation, no, no condemnation, no hell, no lake of fire, instead just annihilation, nothingness, no punishment, but nothing else either, that would be merciful, wouldn't it? I mean, if, if, if your, your child is offensive enough, you know what? I, I'm not going to punish you, punish, punish you, but we're done. You're just on your own. You're, you're gone. I mean, that, that would be bad, right? But maybe it would be easier to swallow than actual punishment. That would be mercy. But God offers more than just mercy. He offers more than not getting what you deserve. He offers getting what you don't deserve. Grace. Not only do you not, or are you not condemned to the lake of fire, but I'm not just going to annihilate you and wipe you out. I'm going to offer you heaven. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, literally. Almost literally. I'm going to give you, like the prodigal son, the ring. You know the ring that the prodigal son got was like the family credit card. He had just wasted his entire inheritance, blown it on riotous living. He comes back home. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm worthy only to be your slave. The, the father picks him up, cleans him up, puts good clothes on him, and gives him the credit card again and says, you got everything I have. That's grace. That is what God offers. That is the gospel because you were and maybe you are dead in your trespasses and sins. But God offers mercy and grace. See, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Every one of us. Not one of us has been perfect or will we ever be perfect. And we know that the wages of that sin is death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. But God offers that gift, mercy and grace, packaged up in the life, in the body, in the essence of Jesus Christ. And says, here, eternal life in Him. While we were sinners, God proved that He loved us. That's, that's what Paul is actually saying here in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were all of these things, but... And we're going to get to the but next week. But I offer something different. I offer mercy. I offer grace. Anybody who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. There is no one excluded except those who don't call on His name. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, or Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the gospel. But it begins with an understanding of first who God is, but then who I am. I am an offense to God. But God will cover that with mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. And if you've not experienced that, or if you have, and maybe you just need to hear this so you can know how to explain it to somebody else, I pray that that is what happens today. Let's, let's stand. I want to pray with us. And then we're going to sing and have a time of response. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have covered it. You, you, you took care of it. Lord, our, our, our sin is offensive to you. We are your enemy, and yet you provide a way. While we deserve the wrath, rightfully deserve the wrath, you offer mercy and grace. And God, I pray today that if there's somebody here listening that doesn't know you as Savior, has, been, has never experienced that mercy and grace, that they will do that today. Lord, they will trust you as their Savior. They will offer you their lives and, and, and tell you this morning, Lord, I know I am a sinner, but I know that you died for me and, and, and I want to experience salvation today. Lord, hear my cry of response to you. Lord, save me. Just a, a simple, simple prayer like that. God, I pray that you would work in lives this morning. Maybe, maybe we just needed to hear today that even right now, my sin is offensive to God. No, I'm not a child of wrath because I know I'm a child of the King because of my faith and trust in Jesus, but I am still daily offending God with my actions, and I need to be obedient. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time to do that in somebody's heart this morning. Call them back to obedience, to right living. Lord, do something in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this morning, what is God telling you to do? One thing He may be telling you to do is pray tonight as we go out. We will be going out tonight for the first time in the community as part of our Can We Talk. We would love to have you come and be a part of that here, praying with us as we let you know who we're praying for. But you can pray that this morning as well at the altar as we sing you come and do business with God.